Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman, and we want to welcome you to our 2023 Interfaith Connection podcast. This is a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Rev. Dave Lyman is my partner in marriage and also my senior minister partner for our Interfaith Explorers organization. We're both so excited to be starting our third year of podcasts on this grand adventure. Our goal this year is to explore and make new friends at faith communities in the greater Sacramento region where interfaith continues to grow. We also want to encourage your feedback as you participate in interfaith events and field trips, read our newsletter, and listen to our monthly podcast. So as we say each year, buckle up and get ready for the exciting year ahead. Good morning. This is Rachel Lyman of Interfaith Explorers. Today, we welcome you to our October 2023 Interfaith Connection podcast. During this year, we've taken opportunities to interview a number of faith leaders in the region in order to keep building those bridges of understanding and connection. Well, this month, I sent our Interfaith Explorers Senior Minister, Rev. Dave Lyman, on a quote, mission impossible, quote, type situation. I asked him to deeply research the mystic side of faith traditions. So today, Rev. Dave and I will be having a conversation about mystics to take a look at the role of the mystical side of interfaith and how mystical rites and mystical arms of faith traditions bring a passion and depth to religions in a different kind of way. So, Dave, good morning. What did you find in your exploration? Rachel, good morning to you. And as usual, it is an honor and a blessing to work with you and to live with you and to be married to you and all those other things. <laughs> Again, as usual, you've sent me on a research quest, much like looking for the Holy Grail. This particular topic is so filled with information that I had to set some special parameters on what I was researching. At one point in time, I had almost 30 pages of material, but I promised you listeners that this is going to be just fascinating. So, Dave, let's, let's get started. How, what did you find about how mystics show up in an abstract way? Well, we started with the words of Siri Aryabundu, who's an author of Interfaith and Mystical Things. He wrote, We do not belong to the past dawn, but to the noons of the future. A mass of new material is flowing into us. We've been asked to assimilate the influences as the great theistic religions of India and the world and the meaning of Buddhism all surround us. All of this points to a new, very rich, very vast synthesis, a fresh and wildly embracing harmonization of all our gains as we move into the mystical. Surya Anubundo believed that the meaning of the faith traditions from the perspective of mystical consciousness changed everything. Interfaith mysticism affects and shapes religion. Much of the time when we discuss interfaith, we hesitate to take the subject into the field of the mystics. 
But this is what we're exploring today. That's true. We have often, uh, not often, spoke about this uh, part of uh, each faith. So, Dave, uh, did you find a definition for the word mysticism? Thanks for asking, Rachel. I did find a definition, as a matter of fact. Would you like me to go ahead and share it? I sure would. Mysticism is known as becoming one with God in its simplest form. It's human transformation supported by mystical experiences. What are the signs of a mystical experience? Well, their holy moments can only be described as ecstatic in our connection to life. We expand into this place, this profound state of being, and our life is filled with beauty and sacredness. Yet it's not a subjective feeling. It's an objective phenomena that's outside our personal selves. It's a state of being in which the personal ego merges definitely back into the divine. I so found can bit- you give us a mystical experience and what that would look like or feel like maybe? Yes, did you have a particular one you wanted me to do, Rachel? I was getting ready um, an allegory, but I can do another one if you would like me to. Well, I think you you said you came uh, found a an ancient Hindu tradition that uh, would uh, work to answer this question. Um, okay, um, I'm a little lost here, but let, let me move on to that Hindu section. Right after, uh, right after allegory. The best way to elaborate is through an allegory. Yes, that's that's not. Oh, okay. Sorry, I get easily confused, listeners. Perhaps the best way to elaborate the mystical experience is an allegory, a tradition of Advaita Vedanta. Imagine that you're in a completely dark room. You've been told in this room, there's a large snake. Now, as you sit in the room, you can see the snake's silhouette, and you feel great fear as you contemplate the potential for it, to bite you at any moment. But one day, there is a flash of light, and it illuminates the room. And yet you see that the snake that you've been fearing all along is, in reality, a rope. Although the flash of light was momentary, it gave you a glimpse of the truth. All of a sudden, your long-held fear vanished entirely, and your experience of the room was never the same again. This is what a mystical experience feels like. It's like a flash of truth that releases us from tradition, from our limited sense of self, gives us a taste of an alternate reality. The word started with Greek origins and referred to a broad range of dimensions of extraordinary experiences. Its modern times are much narrow. It's the absolute union with God's spirit through a wide range of religious traditions and practices. But I do want you to notice that everything we've talked about thus far points to the fact that, in truth, mysticism is about experience. That's true, and and I've only been in the unity faith tradition since 2005, but what I've learned is uh, all about meditation. And what you just read sounds very similar to uh, 
a a meditation. It could even be a uh, looked at as a guided meditation, but you can certainly have that feeling of of feel the energy from spirit when you do meditate. So that that was a very wonderful example of uh, uh, going into an altered state. So, and it was so a, they, wonderful. Uh, it was really wonderful, and it was a two part allegory because it was not meant as a meditation. It was meant as as that flash of light changing everything, and yet just in setting this tone and the system, it came across as meditative. So it was on two whole different levels. That's true, and and that came to mind, popped in my head, a the story of Paul on the road to Damascus, and had a, a flash of light experience. Uh, and uh, his name original name was Saul, and it was changed to Paul, and he had a a mystical experience. Of, it, it, it talks talks in the Bible about almost like a flash of light. So he ended least, up in the dish, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So um, let's, I, I thought what was fascinating when you did your research that you looked at uh, quite a few different faith traditions and um, found uh, mysticism uh, parts in each of those. Do you, where do you, where would you like to start? What faith would you like to start with? Well, let's start with the fact that even though we grew up uh uh, Presbyterian and Catholic, they were both Christian faiths. So let's start off with the Christian faith. Christian mysticism is a tradition of mystical practices and theology and has been called through the years contemplative practice. It is because it's produced a connection with God to produce a, a mystical union again. There are three stages they talk about. The first stage is catharsis, the second is purification, and the third is a vision of God. So let me break these down. The first is catharsis. It's change through experience. It's that change that occurred just by having the experience itself. The experience could be traditional or can be strange because it only appeals at a certain level to certain people. The second part of it is the purification. Because in making the change, again, you are stepping out of the normal approach, and suddenly you're changing. And finally, we often have the fact that, especially in Christian religions, they like to investigate things. And so the third part of it is the exploration of the event in relation to the Bible. Eventually, mystical theology came to denote the investigation of the truth of the Bible. St. Teresa of Avila took four degrees that occurred during the mystical union. She said these were the four, and she was one of the mystical saints of the Christian religion. The first was incomplete mystical union, the prayer of quiet. And again, this was the occurrence of the event at the very beginning. It would take the congregant out of the normal flow into more of a mystical union. The second was full or semi-ecstatic union, where the congregant would grow more dependent on that type of union outside the tradition. The third was ecstatic union, where the moment becomes totally ecstatic, taking everything out of the norm, and in fact, there is no norm. 
And finally, there's transformation, deifying union, coming out of the event with a huge transformation in the person. So, Dave, can I interrupt here? Um, you were going to tell a story about an experience you had up in Chico. Did you want to tell that now or maybe later? Maybe later, because that doesn't really apply right here. Um, okay. Because what I was going to talk about is actually the fact that um, during my seminary program, during the last year, we had a, a large service of our entire class. And I had not seen a lot of mysticism other than stepping aside and doing um, doing events where I went to where the mystical religions would be doing things. And in the midst of our service, one of our um, seminarians, who was a friend of mine, stood up and broke out in tongue. And that was about as mystical as I've ever seen. And it was quite profound for all of us. Um, we actually spent the next day talking about it and what it was like for her, because she had not done it outside of her church. In early Christianity, those kinds of things happened. And they called it mystokos, M-Y-S-T-I-K-O-S, the particular vision of God. And normal saints that we look at, like St. Francis of Assisi, actually, was considered very mystical. In the Middle Ages, the church saw it as a spiritual marriage around ecstasy and rapture. And it was often occurring when prayer is used. It's when they go into that altered state. And that's what it looked like when we watched her. as she stood up, and her eyes actually rolled back in her head, and she spoke in tongues. Well, that's pretty amazing to actually see someone do that, uh, have that experience. Uh, it must have affected all of you in some way, too. So, Dave, uh, let's uh, let's go on to some other mystical arms, uh, especially mystical arms of a main faith that we're uh, looking at. Well, would you like to talk about uh, some of those? Yeah, well, I, I picked Sufism next because uh, the Sufis are the mystical arm of Islam. It's about finding the truth of the divine love and knowledge through direct personal experience. Again, noticing that all the mystical we're talking about is about experience. Well, the Sufis, there's a number of paths. Um, they've been very important in Muslim society. They follow the commands of divine law, and they have an expansive missionary activity. Um, they are concentrating their efforts on the absolute trust in God as part of their principles. We've been familiar with some aspects of Sufism, though the one we see most often is the ritual of the whirling dervishes. <clears throat> yeah, can I interject here, too, that when we went to the Parliament of World Religions, in Salt Lake City in 2015, they had a an event where they invited faith different faith traditions to come on stage and perform rituals or dances. And one of the groups to to do that were Sufis, and they did the whirling dervishes. And that's the first time I'd ever actually seen that in person happening. So that was quite extraordinary. 
What I loved about that night was there were so many different faith traditions, ranging from African drums to children singing together. And it, the diversity was fascinating because this was in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir rehearsal hall. And the Mormon Tabernacle Choir was there because they had performed. And so it was so fascinating seeing 15 or 18 whirling dervishes whirling in front of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And we, where we were in our seats, we had a discussion of what it must have been like for the Mormons in the, in the choir to watch the whirling dervishes, some of them probably for the very first time. A dervish actually practices constantly. Uh, when they're, they're doing it, it's called diki, and it's the physical exertions or religious practices for them to attain that ecstatic trance with God. They whirl in a really formal way, and they, they actually do the, the, the dancing to the point where the dance dances them. Sufism includes the experience of ecstatic states, purification of the heart, extension of the individual personality. If you watch all the dervishes dance exactly the same. So it's communion with God in a higher way. So it is an inner mystical dimension. And they are very mystical in their approach. It's another one of the things, much as like a chant, speaking a chant until the chant chants us, a whirling dervish dances until the dance dances him. So, Dave, in your research, you were very kind to give me a portion of this to talk about during our podcast. So one of the faith traditions uh, that you uh, information you gave me on is the Jewish faith. So and, and the, what is that it, called, Rachel? Uh, Judaism, the arm, mystical arm of Judaism. And what is it called? Oh, well, the. I, I didn't realize this because I've heard this term before and didn't realize the connection. It's called the Kabbalah. Well, the Kabbalah is a set of esoteric teachings meant to explain the relationship of man to God. It's an unchanging, eternal, and mysterious section called Ein Sof, or No End, and the mortal and final of the mortal and final universe. And the Kabbalah originally developed within the realm of Jewish thought, emerging in the 12th and 13th century in Southern France. The Kabbalah has inspired some Jewish renewal and a flourishing emergence through academic investigations. It seems like this mystical arm of the Jewish tradition is quite active. And I can remember in 2010, when we had Interfaith Explorers Experience classes at Pioneer. Uh, we invited Rabbi David Weschler, the Jewish rabbi, to speak uh, to our class. And he did an entire analogy comparing the, the Kabbalah to a baseball game. 
So um, I didn't realize at the time that that's what he was talking about is the mystical arm of Judaism. So this this is just another uh, faith that we, in our exploration and research, found this information and it's quite interesting. You know, the interesting part about it, Rachel, is, is probably most of the faith traditions have some mysticism because it is about experiential. For the sake of moving on, let's look at Hinduism. Hinduism has various sahardas, which are spiritual disciplines which aim at overcoming ignorance. They're tied into ascetic traditions, including yoga, the monks. The classical Vedanta speaks to the divine and emphasizes that both the Altman and Brahman, which are parts of the divine, are experiential parts. Well, that's that's amazing. And then let's take a look at the six, who we know very well. Um, and the Sikh mysticism uh, began with its founder, Guru Nanak. And Nanak said, God must be seen with the inward eye and the heart of a human being. The goal is to become, become one with God. So there's a practice called Simran, which is the remembrance of God through the recitation of the divine nature. So what did you find next? Are there some other faith traditions? There are, Rachel. Moving on, we take a look at the next faith tradition, which is Buddhism. Buddhism is mystical in the sense that it aims at the identification of the true nature of ourself and then moves us along to live according to that. This led to the development of Zen, which is grounded in, grounded in Chinese understanding of the Buddha nature. Zen aims at the insight of one's true nature. So Dave, I understand your research also led directly to the Tibetan tradition based on Madhyamaka philosophy. Well, this is taught by recognizing the emptiness of everything that exists. Tibetan mysticism is a part of the Tibetan Buddhist world, which compromises a part of interwoven combinations of different elements or dimensions, such as conceptual or non-conceptual states of mind, models of the path of awakening, diverse cosmological systems, and bodily transformations, and so forth. Yes, and then I found the one that, that you and I have always talked about, and that's the mysticism of Taoism, which is a mystical philosophy to begin with. It's been said, Tao is the way. And the way to understand Tao is not to talk about Tao. Taoist practices include exercise and rituals aimed at manipulating our life force which is why Taoists practice often Tai Chi. And Tai Chi is something that's been in our radar for quite a while now. In fact, I have a Tai Chi video that I've tried to practice, and it's all about energy and balancing the energy and putting the energy back and centering ourselves and, and staying physically fit as well. That's pretty neat. So again, all of those are experiential. It, you know, it seems through the history of man, Rachel, and on through the history of all these faith traditions, 
there's been a process of mysticism, much of it around altered states. Thinking about that took me to shamanism because that's an area that I got involved with a little bit. This is where the world of spirits are accessed through religious ecstasy. It is an altered state of consciousness that seems to be a part of all true mystical explorers. So speaking of explorers, when you, and when you're doing your research and your reading, were there particular mystic writers that you followed in your quest for the truth? Yes, there were. In the 1970s, I followed the writing and the phenomena of Carlos Castaneda. He was an American writer in the master's program at USC in Southern California. And he wrote a book called The Teachings of Don Juan, A Yaqui Way of Knowledge. And that Yaqui is Y-A-K-Y, I'm sorry, Y-A-Q-U-I. It described his training in shamanism. He supposedly received his training from a Yaqui holy man of knowledge named Don Juan Matus. It is still to this day argued on whether the books were real or faction or a combination of both. The book impacted many people because there are incredible spiritual truths on the book. There was a Time Magazine article calling the work captivating and mind-expanding. Later studies led to the belief that much of it might have been fictional based on some of the things Carlos knew. The difficulty is that many of the teachings were a part of life in other shamanic trainings. I followed his books very closely and took some basic tenets and from some basic workshops from the books, which again were experiential based. So, Dave, how does all this information about the mystical side of interfaith fit into our lives today? You know, Rachel, the history of baby boomers, our generations, and our following generations have led to a number of very mystical type expansive teachings, ranging from gurus to channeled writing, with groups following specific quests and sharing knowledge with each other. The teachings range around us from the Course in Miracles, to the Way of Mastery, to the Celestine Prophecies, to the raw material. <clears throat> and I remember, Dave, you speaking, you've been in unity a long time, and you actually studied the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery uh, for many years. And I remember long, a long time ago, I read the book, The Celestine Prophecy. And what I, I wasn't in unity at the time or any kind of a spiritual seeker, but I remember the book talking about how we're all part of one big energy. We're all energy you know, flowing through energy. So that was fascinating. I actually got a chance and an opportunity to spend an afternoon, a uh, full day, and an, a Friday evening and a full day on Saturday with James Redfield, who uh, wrote uh, Celestine Prophecies. And we did a number of exercises based on the book. And it was pretty, uh, pretty profound and pretty mystical as he went into the different things. But it's just an example of all the different writings that are out there all the different truths that are out there, that are out there for us. So, Dave, you've been 
spiritual seeker for a long time and, and an interfaith minister for over about 15 years. Tell me, where do you personally turn to really touch into the mystics? Do you move to a particular faith tradition? Do you move to writings? What floats your boat? Well, overall, every time I've put that question anywhere, I have to, you know, just confess to a fault that, Rachel, you float my boat. <laughs> but obviously, this podcast is not about the fact that you float my boat. Oh, but thank you for saying that, though. <laughs> I have a number of things here, but I want to tell a story because, in truth, remember, listeners, we talk about the fact that mysticism is experiential. And one of the truths of mysticism is it's just like miracles. It's happening all the time. There's a miracle coming toward us at every moment, and there's a mystical experience available for us if we but open to it. So let me share one that came, and they come out of nowhere. So let me share one that came out of nowhere. In 19... 97, I believe. Oh, no, 1999. I went to a wedding in Chico. And on that wedding, we came in early because it was going to occur on a Saturday. And it was Friday night. My friend and I were wandering the streets of Chico. We had decided we were going to go ahead and have a nice meal. Now, she was somewhat religious, and we had been spending the entire afternoon all the way on the drive up from Chico's. And all the way as we were wandering around, arguing, how do we know if God really loves us? How do we know for a fact? So we're having difficulty finding this restaurant as we walk down the streets on this June afternoon. And we see a group of people coming toward us. Young kids. Well, young, but they're probably all in their 20s. When they come up toward us, one of them says to us, can I ask you a question? And of course, I jumped in and said, only if you can, first of all, tell us where this restaurant is. So he looked at the piece of paper, and he gave us intricate directions. It was only like two blocks away. And then he looked at the two of us, and he said, I want you two to know that for a fact, God loves you. He just out and out loves you. You have a wonderful evening, and he and the group walked away. My friend and I looked at each other and looked up into the sky and went, okay, okay, we get it. <laughs> a mystical experience out of nowhere. And I tell that story now, and people still can't believe it. And I have to tell you, we couldn't believe it when it happened. Out of nowhere. So mystical experiences come anywhere, anytime, from anybody. Because we're all divine. But I also turn to different things. I love the writings of Rumi and Hafiz. They were popular poets from the 1200s and 1300s who provided writing that provided portals to communion with spirit. There were also some other mystical ones. Um, the St. Teresa of Avila, St. Francis, Arabia of Basra. There are many. Well, you have such a, a breadth of knowledge and, and you're so well read. Would you like to take a moment in this podcast and 
give us a quote from one of your favorite mystical poems. I'd love, I'd love to, but you know, I do want to, I do want to point out to people that I appreciate you talking about my breadth of knowledge and all, but I want to really remind everybody that if you're persistent and you keep showing up, after a while, you're the oldest one around and everybody just thinks that you've been there forever. (laughs) So that's part of this process. Let me talk about a poem by Rabia of Basra. It's called In My Soul. And so as as we're going to do this listening, unless you're driving a car or something, uh, so you need to be safe, but I would ask that you just take a breath and let these words wash over you. In my soul, there is a temple, a shrine, a mosque, a church where I kneel. Prayer should bring us to an altar where there are no walls or names exist. Is there not a religion of love where the sovereignty is illumined nothing? Where ecstasy gets poured into itself and becomes lost, where the wing is fully alive with no mind or body. In my soul, there is a temple, a shrine, a mosque, a church, that dissolves, that dissolves with God. We find the true mystical poet speaks of dissolving with God, or as Rumi would say, meet me at a field beyond understanding. It is a sign of ecstasy that shows up and speaks to the mystical sections of various religions and the mystical sections of our lives. It is the speaking in tongues. It's the initiations of Native Americans. It's the mantras of a chant said over and over again until in the end it is chanting us. So, Dave, a deeper question. How do these mystical writings speak to you? Well, they speak to me and they speak to all of us, even those of you who are listening for the first time today. As I said, the opportunities are coming. There will be mystical experiences. And it is about taking a breath and fully participating. In the end, I found on the mystical side of the coin, it's about experience and not reading the writings. It's about the passion and the feeling of the Christ spirit flowing through us. So, Dave, would you like to give us a closing statement after all the research you did about mysticism? Sure. We again can see how deep and multi-layered the exploration of mysticism is. The other part of this process is the truth that we can easily have the experience, as I said earlier. It'll come within our regular traditional approach out of nowhere. It will have the ability to provide the flow of the Christ consciousness that'll flow through in an easier way than we ever imagined. It will be more unexpected than we ever thought. And as we grow in spirit, we'll find the protocol that comes out of nowhere. We'll have no expected beginning, no expected ending. What a great spiritual adventure this process is. Wow. And amen to all of that. So, Dave, I just want to thank you so much for being willing to do this hours and hours of research for this particular podcast and for all of our other podcasts, because I know you love to do that. So 
We thank you so much. And we know that whatever you said today will go out into the universe and someone will learn something from it and maybe respect the, that particular part of our our faith traditions. Because all of us, no matter how we find God, it's all good. It's all valued. And we also thank all of you listeners out there for joining us today and 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 for this October Interfaith Connection podcast. And please uh, feel free to share this podcast. You can send a, our newsletter link on to your neighbors and friends. And uh, we hope to have you listening next month because we'll have another exciting podcast adventure. Dave? And I wanted to remind people <clears throat> that last month or the month before we were chosen as one of the top 15 interfaith podcasts in the United States. And at that point in time, on the first viewing, we were chosen as the seventh best interfaith podcast in the United States. We were notified last week we are now the fifth most I, I, is it not most? Maybe most viewed. I'm not sure. But anyway, we're number five. Most listened to, maybe. Yeah, most listened to. <laughs> and so we appreciate that because that means you are listening. Um, our podcast last month from Leon um, on her legacy of being at the same church uh, for 70 years um, received 75 last time we checked, 75 listeners. That's so right. Thanks to each and every one of you that stopped for a moment and listened to what we're trying to do, which is just let everyone know we're all the same. We have different flavors. We have different filters, but we're all the same. That's so true. And for you listeners, take this information, take it into your heart and soul, and keep building those bridges of understanding. Until next month. We will, we love you and we see you as God. So namaste. Thank you for joining us today to explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. This 2023 podcast will be aired the fourth Thursday of the month on Spiritual Life Center's website, slcworld.org under Interfaith Connection Podcasts. You can also listen to our previous 24-plus podcasts at this same location. And we want to hear from you, so send us your comments, questions, or suggestions to me. That's Rachel Lyman at rachel24 at surewest.net. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-4 at S-U-R-E-W-E-S-T dot net. And let us remember as we go along our different paths that Gandhi once said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty. Namaste.